Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 3-8-2022, uh, 23, 3-8-2023, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We are grateful for your word and for your plan that you have given us. So, Father, we, we pray for wisdom as we open your word and, and focus our attention now on the things that, uh, the scriptures that will be before us. We thank you for those who have joined and we pray for wisdom as we approach your word. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, <clears throat> we have been studying in the book of Romans and we're looking at Romans chapter 12. Uh, so Romans chapter 12, we've been focused on verse 1, which says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, we're spending a little time here, obviously, because... It is important that we understand what is our true and proper worship. God defines what worship is for us. So we have the testimony of God right here in the Bible. So it is of great importance. So it is just that we're just about finishing up uh, this first verse. So we're going to back up a little bit. Uh, in some review, but we're going to, I'm sure we'll get to look at verse 2 tonight. We'll see how it goes. So in your notes, we have these words. Uh, Romans 12, 1. I'm glad that we have the word of God. It gives us guidance on so many things that we need in life. An important part of our life is worship. Of course, we can choose to worship or not to worship. However, to define worship, God has not left this to us. In God's definition of worship, we will not see traditional or cultural standards. When it comes to worship, all, we all need the same things. That's what's important about worship. It is not according to our traditional or cultural norms and standards. Uh, <clears throat> we covered all the way down to point four. And that's what we'll pick up right there in point four. We talked about what it meant to be holy and pleasing to God. Holy, hagias means pure, morally, blameless, or religious, ceremonially. Uh, holy one could be translated. It also could be translated saint. So uh, this word, <clears throat> point B, speaks of those in the church. That's us. We are consecrated, set apart for God's holy purposes. And we see the root of that word used in a lot of different ways, especially... John 17, 17 through 19, which we covered last week. But just to note, John 17, 17 is uh, the scripture that we modeled the church after, which says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So sanctify means to be set apart, not in the way we dress, not in the way we uh, portray ourselves, but in more so in our thinking. So how we think, what we think about, is what sets us apart from the world. Uh, I know there are so many things religion imposes upon us that we almost walk away thinking uh, we, we have to be different from the world in dress and how you know, we talk and you know, make sure we put on the right face to the world but before we do all that before we go through all those changes <clears throat> we should try what god suggests and that is stop being conformed to, to the pattern of this world but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. So we're going to get into that a little bit, but uh, we just wanted to talk about what it meant to be sanctified or set apart for God's use. Point B, or that was point B. Point C, since this speaks of our walk being pure, blameless, we need to have the proper motivation and God will do the rest. And we covered this in good detail last week. First John, we actually went from six to nine, but that's okay. We could leave the notes the way they are from seven to nine. But the thought was about motivation. If we're going to worship God, which is the context, we need to have um, the proper motivation. And what better way to talk about that than to go over those verses in 1 John 1, 7 through 9. And one thing I don't know if I said last time, and I, in review I'll just mention it now, is that 1 John 1, 7 through 9 is not really about some gimmick. Something, you know, if you just to confess your sin, all of a sudden you think, well, because I've confessed my sins, I am now somehow pleasing to God. Well, there is provision for us to recover fellowship. That's 1 John 1, 9. If we're out of fellowship, there's provision for us to, uh, to recover. Although, the point is not that we walk, that we conduct ourselves out of fellowship. And, and I guess the, my main focus here is to say that there are a lot of people who may try to use 1 John 1, 9 as a gimmick, but it's not a gimmick. If you don't have the intention or the motivation to walk with God, obviously, for me to even say that to you all who I'm preaching to the choir, because you wouldn't be here in this Bible study if you didn't have the motivation to want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You do have that motivation and is evidenced by your showing up here. I can't say what's in your heart, but that's pretty good evidence, the fact that you showed up and you want to learn God's ways and you want to walk in those ways. So it, it goes without saying that that is the motivation that you, you need to have when it comes to the right motivation to be holy and pleasing to God. It's not something we can do. It's what God does for us that allows us to, to be pleasing to him. And that's an important thought because what's happening in life today is most people are focused on pleasing themselves. They're thinking about self and what would make them happy, the kind of life that would uh, make them comfortable in this world or make them feel as though you know they are successful they have achieved or you know all these things we we place upon ourselves because <clears throat> we live in, in a world that's very competitive everybody's trying to get ahead everybody trying to make more money do this do that and why uh, we, we, no one would say, well, I'm doing this for God. We're going to probably say we're doing this to make a better life for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, that we want to do better. But what I'm trying to say is that our motivation for pleasing God is, should, it should be our number one priority in this life. So, walking and having the proper motivation means that our lives, uh, the pattern of our lives, should reflect what God's will is for us in this world. So we're finding out what that worship is, but the only thing we can do is have the right motivation. I mean, 1 John 1, 6 through 9, doesn't talk about people who are not interested in growing in grace. It's only focused on those who want to grow, 
who, who, whose aim it is to grow up in Christ, who, who, who wants to walk pleasing to the Lord. If that is not you, then these verses won't help you in any sort of way. It, it just, they will not uh, be what you're looking for. It won't get you out of jail to, you know, like we're playing that game where you land in jail and you're like, oh man, I got to roll again to get out of jail. Whatever that, I forget, is that the boardwalk game? I forget what it is, but 1 John 1 9 is not one of those gimmicks that says, oh, oh, I've sinned, so let me just get back in fellowship. It's about motivation. And if you got the wrong motivation to start with, then none of these verses will not help you. So getting the right motivation is the verse we're in, which has to do with God defining what worship is for us. So that's, we did take a, take a walk there, First John 1, 7 through 9. If you haven't heard it, you should, because it's important. That, that's key to the motive, proper motivation that we need to walk. Point D in our notes, this is 4D. When we have the right motive, God is pleased. And we said something previous to this last week, and God will do the rest, right? So just because you have the right motive does not mean, oh, you're perfect, your walk is perfect, that you know everything, that, oh, God loves me, he's, well, he, he does love you, but or that he's pleased with everything you're doing, because it doesn't mean we're perfect. But, but when, what we have is a perfect motive, and God does the rest. And you see that, a couple of times in those verses, 7 and 9, it says, and the blood of his son purifies us from all sins. Or it says, he is faithful to give, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So God is constantly doing a work within us in order to have fellowship with us. He has to. And if he didn't automatically do it, we would walk around trying to walk on eggshells and we can't do that we can't we can't possibly do that uh, we, we wouldn't we, we're committing sins and we don't even know we're committing sins a lot of the time but if our motive is pure if if we're walking according to the truth then god does the rest that's all he requires of us that's why i wanted to really emphasize the fact that to have the proper motive in all of this. So when we have the right motive, God is pleased. It is his will that we walk according to the truth, allowing the spirit of truth to lead and guide us. <laughs> this is another key factor. Walking according to truth, being having the right motive is not just about keeping the Ten Commandments. I know a lot of people are focused on, you know, what's good and what's bad, what's sin and what's not, right? And they make their walk about sin. And proper, true and proper worship is not about sin. Now, it is about the having the right motivation. It's So, of course, sins, personal sins, can throw you and your motivation out the window. It could, it could throw you off course. So that's why I go back to saying, if, you, if it is not your aim, is not your intention to walk according to truth, then these verses aren't going to help you. You're not going to be able to demonstrate what true and proper worship is anyway until those things happen for you. So it's important. The second thought in point D is we're not walking aimlessly. We're walking toward a goal. And the goal that we have in this age is the Father's plan, right? It's what the Spirit of Truth was given to us in order to lead and guide us in that plan. It's not to lead and guide us in the Ten Commandments or the Mosaic Law or whatever you think you would like in this world. The Spirit of Truth is focused on the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ was the Father's plan. Right? He said, everything that belongs to the Father has been given to me. 
Christ says that in John 16. So, so the, the idea here is there's an agenda on the table. It's not just general walking uh, in what we might call, you know, goodness. Or, or people think, well, as long as I, I have a list of things that um, I know are bad, and as long as I don't do those things, then I'm fine with God. God's pleased with me. No, that's not the point. The point is, is that the Holy Spirit is trying to take you somewhere. And, and where he's trying to take you is not just morality. Morality is good. I'm not saying we shouldn't have or be moral. But my point is, morality doesn't fulfill where the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you. So, it's, it, of course, it's not, not to say that, that if you're immoral or, you, you, you know, moral degeneracy, if you're falling into those categories, it will throw your motivation off for allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. Yes, it will. So, at the very least, we need to have our proper motivation in place so that we don't, uh, are not distracted or drawn away by our lusts or allowed to enter into passions that are not according to what God would have us uh, be or, or, or led into places where he doesn't want us to go. So the body, the flesh, all these things, uh, our minds, legalism, self-righteousness, arrogance, all these things are things that will lead us astray. We have to have the humility not to allow those things to lead us astray. So the spirit of truth has an agenda. That agenda is tied to this age, this mystery age, which was hidden from Israel. And there's differences between who we are and who Israel is. There's differences between what our purpose is and, our, and those of Israel. The spirit of truth was given to us to lead and guide us into that all truth. And all truth is related to the Father's eternal purpose, which has now been revealed. So he didn't reveal the eternal purpose and, and call you to it so that you could go back and talk about the Mosaic Law or morality or all those things which are part of the spiritual life but are not God's aim for you. So this is... I guess when we even talk about the filling of the Spirit, what we need to be talking about is direction. It's not just, oh, I can, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm good. If, if that's all you're thinking about, you, 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 you're not hitting the nail on the head. The filling of the Spirit is about direction. We saw that Christ says when he comes, Spirit of truth, he's going to guide you into all truth. Well, he, that's direction. That means he's taking you somewhere. Somehow people think that the filling of the Spirit is just an influence that you should conduct yourself and try to keep yourself from sin. It's not about that. Remember, all we have to do is keep a pure motive and God does the rest. He purifies us. He's the one that does that. didn't say we should purify ourselves. He's the one who does it. And the Spirit who has power over our flesh does the work. So if we get it twisted and we start thinking, well, we can overpower our sin nature, we'll be fighting our sin nature with our sin nature's will. And that's not what God would have us do. So remember, it's not about sin. It's about following. It's about humility. So if I hadn't said anything that made sense just remember this the spirit of the spirit of truth is about direction he's taking us somewhere he has somewhere to take us and and it's not just about worship where we you know praise god and lose control of ourselves or all these things that are going on today in worship which are not even anywhere close to what the spirit of truth is trying to tell us there's a new life available for us, and the Holy Spirit is trying to usher us into that new life that John talked about it, saying that 
our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. That's what we, we, we have, the special nature of what we have. All right, so let's move on to point number five. This is your true and proper worship. And the verse says it, right? So he says, do not be, uh, where it begins, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, all of that, that he mentioned, you know, is really, it boils down to this, what God defines as true and proper worship. And if we didn't know what it was, we can learn what true and proper worship is. This is what we're taking time to weed out what doesn't fit, what is not appropriate for those in this age, and we're going to focus on what God does require of us. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to do it. It's up to you and your free will, your humility, right? And your honest motive to want to um, to follow God. It's up to you. But knowing it, even if you decide to follow it or not, is valuable. Because there are a lot of people who resist knowing it. They resist the fact that uh, this... God, the Holy Spirit, is trying to lead us into this new age information. And so, obviously, they're not going to be led by the Spirit into this type of information because they think it's wrong. So this is, this is your true and proper worship. Now, it doesn't come from Doug. This comes from God. He's saying, here's what I consider true, proper. What pleases me, right? as we saw in a pre- previous verse, holy and pleasing to God. So let's look at a couple points here, see how far we can get. Trans- so I, I, this is a very important phrase, so I did some translations. I wanted to ren- show how it's rendered in all these different translations. Okay, so ASV says, which is your spiritual service? Right, that's Our worship is our service. BBE says, which is the worship, uh, which is the worship it is right for you to give him. It's a a recognition of the fact that it's something that we can do. We've been talking about grace. Now we got to have the proper motivation so that God can do the rest. CEV, that is the most sensible way to serve God. I like that. ESV, which is your spiritual worship. ISV, for this is the reasonable way for you to worship. And then we have WEST, your rational, sacred service. He he translates it. And the YLT, your intelligent service. So I give you these translations because it's good to be able to look at how these different Bible translators have translated these Greek words here in this phrase into English. Looking at the various ways they've done it gives us more of a a flavor of what is actually being said. Point B. All of the translations are saying that considering what God has done and what you see, this is reasonable for you to respond to God in this way. I like the reasonableness of it because God is saying, in light of all that I have done, calling you to this age, bringing you forward at this particular time in human history, your reasonable response to me, should be this. And I'm glad, I'm honestly glad that God has told us what pleases him, what is reasonable as far as he is concerned. Because if we think that salvation is controversial, and we got all these voices saying what salvation is, 
you haven't heard anything when it comes to living the Christian way of life or after salvation what? Some people after salvation work hard to establish that they are saved. They don't believe in eternal salvation and they spend their whole life trying to live up to it. And others have come up with all kinds of things to say, well, this is what we should be doing after salvation. Well, so many, if you think salvation was controversial, this is really controversial, how to worship God. And we've almost gotten to a place where we have taken like a Middle Eastern point of view. And why do I say Middle Eastern? Because there's this philosophy from the Middle East which says, uh, especially it's really in their religious practices like Hinduism and such, where they say, it's your truth and it's, and I'm not going to condemn anybody for living or having a, a truth, even if it's different from mine. So the Middle Eastern cultures have done this. They, they, they have made truth relative. Truth is not an absolute, but it is depending on the perspective of the person hearing or receiving it. So I could say the sky is blue. Somebody could say, well, to me it's red. And I'm not supposed to say, no, oh, it is actually blue. And I'm supposed to say, I respect your, your seeing that it's red. I, that's your truth, and I respect that. That's an Eastern philosophy. That has invaded the mindset of many in the Western world. People feel like that's some sort of respect by denying what is actually uh, truth. And when I say truth, of course, I'm not really even talking about uh, something that is revealed by the Spirit. I'm talking about what is and what is not evident in the world. And I used to always say to them, I said, well, if you're crossing the street, you better have the... And there's a whole bunch of cars and trucks rumbling down the road. You better have the same perspective of reality as I do and not cross the street when trucks and, and cars are, are coming. You can say, I, I don't believe that this is a road. Well, you can believe that if you want to. So somehow, they seem to get that part right. But when it comes to worshiping God, it's like, oh, God, anything, whatever I think, it almost makes the person idolatrous by saying that they're God and they can decide what truth is. No, truth is objective, and the truth that we're talking about comes from God the Holy Spirit, and it's only given to people in this age. So uh, when we talk about um, truth, what we're trying to do is understand it from God's perspective. He's going to tell us what truth is. He's going to tell us what our reasonable service is. And this is not something that we can define. It is, I'm so glad God has defined it. And, and it's almost like taboo to say, oh, see, see those people worshiping over there and, and doing this or doing that? Uh, we can't say that they're wrong. We're not supposed to say that. We're not supposed to say, oh, that, that is not worshiping God. Because we would feel that would offend them or offend somebody, or we'd be judging them, or something. But God has told us what true worship is. We can use that as a standard. Uh, first, first of all, we have to not worry about running around try, trying to judge people. I'm only pointing out the differences of how people view worship. But for us, it's more about learning it ourselves, so that we can understand what true worship is, and then allowing God to transform our minds so that we can express what he wants in our lives and will please him. So if he tells us what it is, I think we ought to pay attention. Now, we can't make people pay attention. It's just, that's our job, to pay attention. So we're not going to worry about what other people do or how they perceive truth. But we can know, and once we learn what truth is, what true worship is, we can learn what is right and what is wrong. And there is a right and wrong when it comes to this. 
Well, it's not a general subject where, okay, well, they worship that way. It's okay. <laughs> What's okay to who? Is it okay to God? Uh, you could say, well, that's between them and God. I know we could say that, but the point that I'm making is when we have it defined, it's almost like salvation. So if salvation is by grace, and a person over there says, oh, yeah, well, the way I see it is this. Well, there's a right and wrong there. And the right and wrong is the person seeing it the wrong way, simply put. This is your true and proper worship, God is saying. He's going to define it for us. Here we go. Point uh, C. Since our volition is involved, let's just know, rewards will be involved as well. And that's an important point to note because I don't want to make it seem like um, somehow we have extended ourselves here in this world and God does not compensate us for this. He does. He will reward us for our service to him, for this reasonable service. Even though it's reasonable, God is saying, above and beyond that, I will reward every man according to whatever he has done, whether good or bad. So God's going to reward, well, actually, whether slave or free, but he's going to give us, everybody's going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And they're going to be evaluated. And being a worshiper of God in this way will, you will receive rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what we should know. That's true worship. And we, when we extend ourselves, God rewards us. Point D, true and proper worship. God is setting the standard for what is worship. That's, I mean, I'm, I would expect that God has a standard for what is true and proper worship. I would expect that to be the case. He has, his standards are high. And just like the verse says, his thoughts are not our, th not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. So that verse, to me, is relative to standards. That's what it's related to. So when we think about um, his ways and his, the way he does things, they're not the way we would do things. So the only way we can learn what he wants us to do is by humility, by listening to him, hearing him out, allowing him to have a say in what we think. And then, once we hear him out, we have an opportunity to put our trust in his word. So, true and proper worship, God has set a standard. It is not up to Doug, it's not up to you, not up to people over there worshiping or over on the other side over there worshiping, it's up to God. Now, of course, I'm not going to sit at the judgment seat of Christ with God and say, well, yeah, I saw them doing it wrong, or God could say, you did it wrong, Doug. It's up to, it's not, I'm not the standard. God is the standard. So, uh, point E, cultural or traditional responses are not pleasing to God. Uh, this is a tough one, because I know everybody here, including me, has been tied to traditional and cultural responses as it relates to God, right? How we feel inside. We, what we have done is we have tied our emotions to our cultural and, re, and religious traditional uh, positions. We've tied, and some people think about it here, it's so easy. You could be singing this uh, uh my country tis of thee, right? Well, the national anthem. And some people are going to automatically have emotions to that. They're going to start tearing up. They're start feeling, you know, very nostalgic and so forth. And so is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. We have holidays that may uh, be significant to impact us that way. And there may be other triggers that can do it, and it's okay. However, we cannot 
use those things to worship God. And so, you know, there's that song, give me that old time religion. Now, if the old time religion is focused on the truth, yes, yes, that's good. We want to maintain that tradition that according to what God has given us in the word. But if it's not based on truth, if it's based on what I've been seeing as American Christianity or uh, emotional Christianity or people, uh, you know, looking at their particular religious denomination and thinking that, oh, this has got to be the way to worship God, then that's that old-time religion. And I would say it wasn't good enough for Grandpa, Grandma, and it's not good enough for me. So you got to consider that for yourself. Humility and obedience to the Father's plan is what is pleasing to God. Never mind what those who were before you did. Never mind. If, you know, now, of course, if they followed the plans of God, as, we, as the Holy Spirit has re- revealed them to us, then amen. Amen. If they have not followed the plans of God, as the Holy Spirit has revealed to us, then we are not to fall in the footsteps of old-time religion. So it's hard to say this. I mean, we could hear gospel music and say, oh, see, that gospel music sure does make me feel close to God. And really, God is not necessarily in gospel music. God is, is, truth is what? It's true and proper worship. We worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what pleases God. Not because somebody can sing a gospel song really well. Now, it may make us feel culturally, you know, close to God. But again, this is up to us to be able to separate cultural and traditional responses and and make sure that we don't use those things as truth when it comes to worshiping God. And this is a hard one. I know, I know we're going to have to revisit this. But yeah, this this one is a tough one because we all are involved in this one because we we all come from culture. We all there's, if I could say, well, what music do you like? And you say, oh, I like this song. I like this artist. I like that artist. Everybody has grown up with some cultural norms and standards. And some of that we have related to um, worshiping God. This is, this is pretty much how it works. Now, I'm not saying we don't have hymns and songs and spiritual songs that he tells us that we can worship with. Yes, he does. But we ought to know that those hymns, songs, and spiritual songs were generally to reinforce what the Word of God taught us. It wasn't just so we could feel good. It was to reinforce. And there are even songs that are scriptures that are in the Bible for us. Some of, some of the songs in the Bible are scriptures. And I don't have to tell you about the Psalms in the Old Testament, but they're even in the New Testament. There are passages of scriptures that they sang as well. And why do they do it? Because they want to reinforce doctrines, the thinking of God. And, and, and that is perfectly okay. But just to be singing songs and thinking that, you know... Um, that these things are just pleasing to God in and of themselves. That's not. It's about the truth. And your way of singing the song and your particular uh, culture of how you sing a song doesn't mean somehow that, that God is pleased because you've offered that worship. I mean, you could go to China or Japan or somewhere where they don't even speak our language and those people will look at us awfully strange if we think that that, that they have to learn that in order to get closer to God. That is not the case. God is going to witness to every soul. And there's the common denominator of truth that he uses 
to transform the thinking of every person, every believer, wherever they are in the world. It could be in Russia, in Ukraine, or wherever they are. It is not going to be our gospel songs, our music that is what would appeal to them. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is going to use the truth to appeal to their hearts. And if we come along, and if we have anything to say about it, we ought to be focused on the spirit of truth's message as well. So this is a tough one. I think it's going to take a lot more hashing out uh, before we are able to separate religion, traditional responses to what the Word of God teaches and being able to have our minds transformed. So we're, we're going to get more into it later, but we'll keep going at this point. And if there are questions, please ask. Point F. As we go forward, we will see how this is accomplished. We will see what is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. <laughs> Boy, not only is it our troop and proper worship, but then he's, he even follows it up later as we're going to get to the verse that says then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you might say, well, boy, I'm being awfully judgmental tonight. Yeah, but, but for us to be able to test and approve, for God to tell us what his will is, and then we can test ourselves to see what that, if we are in line with that will, I think it is defined pretty well. At least from God's perspective, it's defined well. So, so we'll get into that. Those questions will be answered as we go forward. It's all right here in the text. So we will, I, I'll introduce where we are in the next uh, section. The next verse is verse 2, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we continue our subject of worship, Paul continues to give us more description of what God requires. We will hear from God in these verses about what we should be doing after salvation. God has a plan for our lives, and our first goal is to find out what pleases the Lord. That's Ephesians 5.10. We need to take our time with these verses because they describe our walk and motivation. Yeah, if, if there was ever a verse to talk about when it comes to after salvation, what do we do? These verses, I mean, actually it's not only these verses. There are lots of other ones I could point to, and we will. But these verses come right out and say it. Here's what worship is, and it has to do with a transformed mind. So you mean to tell me, unless you have a transformed mind, you're not going to be in a place where you're going to be pleasing to God. That's tough to say. But guess what? If we're not pleasing to God, and we're still alive, we can be pleasing to God. <clears throat> by just following what God's prescription to do so is. So here are some negative things that we need to leave, uh, leave out. What does not please God? He's going to tell us what... It's interesting we say what salvation is and what salvation is not. <laughs> because why do we need to say that? Because of all the voices that are out there saying, trying to tell us what salvation is. Same thing here. We're going to learn what walking in, in, in truth and pleasing God is and worship. We're going to learn what that is and we're going to learn what that is not. It's important that we do. And in, in the Bible says it right here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Okay, so let's look at point number one. Do not conform. So conform, oh, I'm, I'm seeing here 906. We may just look at a couple points here and then we're going to leave some room for Q&A. So conform, I am not going to try to say what this word is in the Greek. 
I'm just going to let it pass. Good thing you have it written down here so you don't have to wonder what it is. <clears throat> to fashion alike, this is, this is what conform in the Greek means, to fashion alike, that is conform to the same pattern, uh, conform to or fashion self according to. Okay, so this is generally what that word means. And so point B, <clears throat> I thought Wiest had a very descriptive definition of this phrase and stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you and is not representative of what you are in your inner being, but is patterned after this age. All of that is what other translators might have just said. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. <laughs> he put all that together from those Greek words. And I, I certainly appreciate the contribution here because it is very descriptive. Stop assuming an outward expression that does not, does not come from within you and is not representative of what you are uh, what your inner being is, but patterned after this age. It's, it's like that verse in Matthew 23, where Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law, he says, you blind fools, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. So this is... Is what's important, right? When we talk about a transformed mind, it really does have to do with humility. How can we allow God to change the things that we think if we love the things that we think? If we're holding on to them with our white knuckles holding on to them? Uh, and I think that's where we have to start thinking about what does it mean? to be transformed. God's not going to force you to do it. If he did, we wouldn't need to have verses like this. If, it, if God were going to just automatically conform you to his will. This is what some people think after salvation, that the Holy Spirit will just push you over. And you have to do certain things. And they say things like, if you're a Christian, then you will do this, or you will do that. If you're, if you're a, then, and, and if you're not doing it, they'll say, if you're a true Christian, if you're a true believer, then you will do this. And this is, this is manipulation and control. This is not transformation. This is where religion has gotten hold of people and gotten salvation twisted with living the Christian way of life. And trying to manipulate you into trying to behave a certain way. So... It is a violent, the Holy Spirit will influence you, yes, but it, the, the choice is yours. And we have examples in Scripture where people do not follow the Spirit's lead. You do have the right to live your life in this world. Now, I'm not saying there won't be consequences to living your life however you choose, but I'm saying you still can do it. It is up to you. So truly, by the time you get to the judgment seat of Christ, it won't be, well, I was roped into this. No, you truly did love God. You truly did want and com to commit yourself to his plan. It is something that you desire, not somebody who roped you into it. And this is, of course, God, the Holy Spirit, doing the work behind the scenes, taking, if you, it's almost like when you submit to surgery, uh, you, you know, you get you you got the propofol and you start drifting off, and they say count back from ten to one, and I think I've done that, and I got to nine, <laughs> ten, nine. I don't remember much after that, but then the surgeon goes to work. I submitted to allowing them to put the IV in my arm and submitted to allowing them to put me to sleep because I'm going to let them do whatever it is the operation was supposed to do. But once I submit to God, he does the rest. We're going to talk about how he does it more 
next week as we get into do not conform to the pattern of this world. So at this point, we're going to stop. We'll come back next week and uh, get back into the subject again. Uh, but we're going to ask if there are questions, thoughts out there, and then we'll, the floor is open. Thoughts? All right, certainly all right if you don't have thoughts. I can give you back some time. We do have about 15 minutes. I'll pause just to be sure before we close that I didn't cut anybody off who did have a thought. All right, okay. It's a wrap then. Let's let's bow our heads and we will close. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We thank you for those who have joined. And thank you for your word. We thank you for the description of what is worship. Father, as we keep our focus, we uh, focus our attention on having the proper motivation we pray that you will give us wisdom, that you will transform our, our minds so that our lives will be pleasing to you. And when we do get to, to the judgment seat of Christ, we will be rewarded for the things done while in the body. So we thank you for this opportunity to partner with you uh, as we think about your eternal purpose and as we give ourselves to this and devotion and commitment. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.